everybody. Welcome to the You Were Born for This podcast with Father John Ricardo. That's me. I'm Father John. I'm your host. I'm the executive director of Acts 29, where we talk about anything and everything related to transforming the church. And I've got Mary with me, but she doesn't have a mic, and Nick has flown the coop. But we got two really special guests. We got uh, Father Patrick Schultz and Father Ryan Mann from the uh, Archdiocese of Cleveland. And brothers, it's good to have you in the house. Thanks, John. Good to be here. Good to be here. Yeah, it's a glimpse. Uh, this is kind of like the uh, the clergy uh, the clergy podcast here. And Mary's just going to uh, throw us questions from uh, from offsite, and uh, and we'll have a good chance just to talk and maybe just give a. I'm particularly curious uh, to hear what your challenges are like right now. You you guys are in parish ministry, and and I'm no yeah. longer in parish yep. ministry. And just thought it might be great to get a offer a glimpse to our brothers and sisters of like what are the challenges like in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, not to mention just like what are the challenges of living priesthood in 2020 with this little election thing coming up and whatnot. And so uh, we're really honored to have you guys here. Thanks for coming. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you very much. Thank you. How about, would one of you guys mind just leading us in prayer? Yeah, let's do it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, you are so good, and you adore us, and you are from all eternity gazing upon us and the plan that you have for us. Father, we ask you to send forth your Spirit upon us to bless and anoint this conversation. Help us to share our hearts. And help us to let your heart be glorified, Jesus. We make this prayer in your mighty and holy name. Amen. 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 Father, the Son, Father. Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, Padre. Yeah. So, quick thought. I mean, so one of the things that, uh, I don't know if you guys think this way about priesthood, but one of my great loves as a priest is just introducing people to each other that don't know each other. Yeah. And so we've, we've had the luxury, I mean, you and I, Patrick, we've, we've uh, had a chance to correspond and interact uh, over the last year plus, and... Uh, heard a lot about you, uh, Padre, but just getting to spend time with you today has been a real gift. They've been here in our office all day, and um, I'd just like to introduce you guys to to the people that listen to us. I would love you just to give like give us a thumbnail. Like you got an amazing story of your conversion, Father Ryan. <laughs> like so, like I don't want to ask you to help give your whole story, but um, like give people a glimpse into you. I want I want people to meet you a little bit right now. So tell us a little bit about yourself and and like how it is that the Lord caught you because it's a little different sure yeah uh well thank you and so i've been ordained seven years but uh before i was ordained and before i was in the seminary uh my parents it was my dad's second marriage and so i have a very modern family you could say so i have half brother half sister and a stepsister and i have a stepmom as well so i know all those messy dynamics hmm. uh, from the inside out so when I was uh, about 18, I was going off to a full ride for jazz trumpet performance uh, at the Cleveland Jazz Conservatory. And uh, I was on my way to that school. And uh, right before, and I kind of was on a retreat. And I got on that retreat, not because I was super pious or anything, but I was there to take out trash. Thought it helped <laughs> out a little bit, right? And uh, while I was there, I had some uh, friends from high school. So I was one year out of high school, uh, some friends from high school. Uh, these three girls, they said, hey, did you go to confession yet? I said, no. They said, well, we'll wait in line with you. And I thought, well, that's not what I had planned. And so we waited in line, and I, I went to confession for the first time since I had made my first communion. So I was 19. It had been 11 years. That's some choice years. Uh, yeah, yeah. They were, you know, <laughs> not I was much. a jazz musician. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I was a jazz musician, too. So <laughs> that's right. I was really, really focused. And um, uh, I go to confession, made the best one I could, uh, and I was told to pray, do my uh, penance in front of the Blessed Sacrament. So I go to the Adoration Chapel, 
And second uh, through the Our Father, they said five Our Fathers. Second Our Father, I remember just being just pierced very deeply. And uh, Jesus very clearly in my heart said two words, which was, I know. And uh, the I know was he knew behind all the masks and all the pretending and all the striving and all the grass. He knew the story. And there was no condemnation. There was only like the mercy and warmth of an invitation of like, I know you. Like, do you want to know me kind of thing? And it changed everything. Uh, not right away because I then decided to do acting and improv comedy. But uh, <laughs> about a year and a half after that, um, I decided to go in the seminary. And uh, it was really my vocation was just an unfolding of that encounter. It wasn't so much that like I had further calls to priesthood, although there was little moments here and there between people and the, uh, you know, in prayer times. But that was really, I just knew I wanted to live in that orbit of the I know. And I wanted to bring other people there. And so that's kind of where my calling came from. It's kind of, I, I can picture like Jesus and Nathaniel in the gospel with uh, John right away. Like, hey, before, uh, before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. And he's like, wow, like you're, you are the son of God, you know? And, and Jesus looks at Nathaniel and goes, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? Like, exactly. dude, you're going to see much greater things than this. Yeah. But just that personal thing of, I know. And, and the way God has a way of just communicating with us. But so I don't want to presume that you knew nothing, but just hearing your story earlier, like, sounds like you knew nothing because your family background. Gary Christian, yeah, my dad was Jewish growing up. So he was an agnostic Jew. So he had a, a new suit at the high holidays and we had some gefilte fish yeah. and some Jewish phrases. That's about <laughs> it. Uh, but that was about it growing up. So, and my mom was a lapsed Catholic. Uh, and so there was not a lot of religion. My maternal grandparents would have practiced their faith, but that was kind of like, you know, they had the leather-bound butler lives of the saints and the right. women, a feminine sacred heart image, and they prayed rosaries all the time. Yeah. But uh, it was just something, I did, it just seemed like out of touch with what I was desiring and wanting in life. Uh, and then when I went off to college, uh, they got a divorce, my parents, and then my dad converted my second year at the seminary, and my mm. mom went on a great retreat, and they're now both very active at their own parishes, wow. and uh, my dad got remarried. And he's involved with great organizations within the church. And my mom uh, has a great little group of women. They read the Bible and things together. And so uh, the whole family's kind of been brought back into the Lord in a very messy way. But That's awesome. nonetheless, it's, it did work. And um, it's helped, you know, I, one of the reasons I ask, because I think people often have this perception of, of the kind of person God calls to priesthood. And it's just not true. Yeah. <laughs> like, I know that from my own life anyway. <laughs> and uh, so it's just helpful for people to go, like, undoubtedly, there's a guy listening right now, like, oh, my gosh, like. That could be me, right? right? And like, God doesn't have a—we uh, we joke often here, or not joke, actually. We just refer to it often, the line in The Chosen. Have you guys both seen The Chosen? Yeah. I mean, I just love this uh, this show. I've watched it so many times through and through. And after Jesus calls Matthew and um, and Peter's just kind of objecting to it, and Jesus' response is, get used to different. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's so true, right? Get yeah. used to different. Like, God doesn't have a formulaic way— of breaking into our lives. He knows us. Like, I know. Mm -hmm. I know you. I know what I'm afraid of, what I'm ashamed of, whatever. And uh, he doesn't care. He just calls. He breaks in. And there's no there's no cookie-cutter um, mentality to priesthood or, or to discipleship, for that matter. So... Um, thanks, man. That's it's it's great to it's great to hear the story and what's going on. Thanks for asking. Yeah, yeah. Father Patrick, give give us a give us your story real quick. Will well, you? it's pretty much a very similar story, minus the Judaism and the jazz trumpet and the improv <laughs> comedy and. Uh, but I mean, in the Kefilta sense of fish. Like, yeah, right, yeah, a lot of kefilte fish, right? Uh, <laughs> 
Uh, there was a choice word. But anyway, the um, grew up with uh, parents who are very much a product of their generation that uh, they were raised in the church, but they never became disciples. They never met the Lord. And so as married people, they were building a business. Babies start coming along. Get it baptized. Why? We don't know. Like this we're is Catholic. what you do. We're Catholic, right? So anyway, uh, we were we were Christmas and Easter only Catholics many years, and uh, there was a point in time in my life where I legitimately thought church happened twice a year because we went twice a year. So anyway, fast forward to um, you know first communion, reconciliation, second grade. Didn't go to Catholic school. Didn't <laughs> go to PSR. Um, I don't, not, neither of us did. No, yeah, yeah. neither of us went to PSR. Yeah. We're also from the same home parish. You should know that. Oh, yeah. no kidding. Yeah, we're from the same hometown. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So um, our home parish confirms the teens their junior year of high school. And so that same year, I had a huge crush on a girl who sat next to me by God's amazing providence in my physics class. Um, and uh, out of the blue one day, she started asking me uh, about God. And I had... I mean, I was just like, I was enamored with this girl. You know, you talked about like how the Lord baited you. Mm. Like her name was Kristen, right? That's, that was the bait on the hook for me, right? So she, uh, she started asking me questions about God and where do I go to church? And I had no answers. I just simply, I mean, I was an idiot. I just said like, you know, like, what do you think about God? And then she would say some things and I just would, you know, like, I know synonyms. So I just would like take her words and I would flip them and make it sound like we're on the same page, right? Like... <laughs> Totally. Want to go get something to eat? Yeah, yeah. You should marry me. I mean, uh, so then anyway, it culminated with her asking me to come to the first fall retreat planning meeting for the Life Teen Retreat that night. And uh, I must have convinced her I was a very religious person. So um, so there she was in my driveway, 630. She picks me up. We go to this meeting. I'm freaking out because the entire foundation of my future marriage is now built on lies. <laughs> and... Uh, that night, the the priest who who was also uh, very influential in Father Ryan's conversion, he was he was the parochial vicar still at our home parish, and he brings out the Blessed Sacrament, and I had no idea what the Eucharist was, what hmm. a monstrance was, and it's placed on the altar. All I knew was just seeing people responding to the presence of what was clearly Jesus. Somehow, this grace was given. I had this intuition that whatever that thing is up there, it's God, <laughs> and I just remember kneeling there, looking at this, seeing them praying, my peers. And uh, like praying for the first time in my life, saying, you know, Lord, whatever this is, I think it's real, and uh, I, I, I'm ready for it, and I want this. And just the trajectory of my life was changed that night. All I know is that that night I met the Lord, um, and it was like this drive-by. Like, he, he came into my life, and um, it's so much the song of songs. Like, you pierced me, and then you ran away again. And I felt like I was mm -hmm. chasing after him the rest of my high school years, and um, got super involved in Bible studies and all those sorts of things, and and it's it's never been the same. Wow, yeah. praise God! Wow, yeah. that's awesome. It, just hearing both of you immediately, it, it uh, reminds me. I, I say oftentimes, uh, Mary, myself, Nick, Steve, Chris, we talk about uh, what we call eight essentials for parish transformation that we've come to just codify, if you will, and not that they're like the be all and end all. But the first one for me is the Eucharist is the wrecking ball. Yeah, and uh, so like. The Lord breaks into your life, Father Ryan, in a particular way, like middle of the second, our Father, in front of the Blessed Sacrament. And you told us earlier in a conversation, like, you didn't even know what the Blessed Sacrament meant. Right, yeah. Right. I didn't know where it was. I had to ask where. They said, go pray in front of the Blessed Sacrament. I said, I, so I had to ask the youth minister, where is it? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that is. And, and, and you just get in front of the Lord, hidden behind the appearance of bread, and boom, suddenly he just says, I know, and your life's forever different. Father Patrick, similar kind of situation, totally. right? Like, somebody puts the Lord out. 
and it's like you're toast after that, yeah. right? And uh, so I had this experience, like my first year, Mary and I were at the same parish together when I was ordained, and uh, she used to help on the RCIA team there, and we went away on retreat. Uh, we took like, I don't know, 35, 40 people down to Ohio just to be, you know, like in her faith, as you would say, Father Patrick. <laughs> so uh, Michigan people going to Ohio, no greater love. Um <laughs> So we went down there on retreat. We just had this incredible experience. So the highlights of the retreat were leisurely, that might be the wrong word, but uh, prayerful masses, you know, like where you didn't have to worry about got to get out, got to get the yeah. parking lot, got to get people in, you know, to whatever they're going to do. Uh, and just tons of time in front of the Eucharist, even though nobody on retreat was Catholic. So mm. nobody could receive the Eucharist. Um, and as we were leaving the retreat, one of the people just said, uh, can we hold on to this somehow? Like, we got to find a way to keep replicating these experiences back in the parish. And so we went back to the parish and we started doing a, uh, an evening mass in the middle of the week, trying to replicate that experience where it was just, it was a prayerful mass, you know, it was like low lights, great worship. And then we would pray with people afterwards for the first, I don't know, a couple of months maybe. And then... At one point, I remember the Lord saying to me, I was reading a reflection from Sister Breege McKenna. Do you guys know Breege? Mm -mm. She's this Irish nun. And it was a great little uh, reflection that she had in a, a book on the Eucharist. And she was talking about an experience she had. She was about to give a talk somewhere, I think in Australia. And she felt like the Lord woke her up in the middle of the night. And she went down to the chapel to pray. And as she was praying, she felt like the Lord said, Breege, there's too much Breege. Mm. They don't need Breeze. They need me. <laughs> and as soon as I read that, I, I could tell immediately what the Lord was saying to me. It's like, hey, it's great that you guys are praying with people after Mass. Put me out. Yeah. And so the, the next Wednesday, we put the—I I just explained to everybody, hey, we're going to do things a little different uh, tonight. I'm, rather than you know invite people to come get prayed with afterwards, I'm just going to expose the Lord and Blessed Sacrament. And like you guys, I mean, I didn't, I didn't grow up with— any of this, like, uh, I, I never saw adoration or exposition when I was a kid. Uh, so it wasn't like trying to, you know, like linger on or hold on to something from my past. So I just said, I'm going to put the Blessed Sacrament out. I'm, I'm going to put a couple of kneelers in front of the, the, the altar. And I'd written a prayer and just said, if, if the Lord moves you, you want to come up and pray, that's great. If, if you want to just sit in your pew, that's fine too. And then we'll take, you know, a half hour or so, and then I'll, I'll do benediction. So I'm like nine months ordained at this point. And uh, mass ends, and I put the Blessed Sacrament out, and my head's down. My head's like always down in the sanctuary. And uh, I can hear all this commotion. It was kind of a day like today. It was cool. So I'm figuring people are putting their coats on. They're on their way out. Put the Blessed Sacrament on the altar, and I turn around, and the sanctuary is full. Mm. I mean, there were like, there were two kneelers. There were... 30 people in the sanctuary. Like try, it was like the scene out of the gospel, like people just pressing in, trying to get as close to Jesus as they could. And I had kneelers up there for me uh, and the guy who was serving with me, and I, I knelt down, and I don't know what they call this. I don't know if it was a vision or what, but I'm looking at the altar, and I don't see the monstrance. I see Jesus standing on the altar, and he's just looking out at the people. And then as I'm watching this kind of dumbfounded, he turned towards me, and he bowed. 
And as he bowed, he just said, uh, John, don't you see how easy this is? Mm. You just have to put me out, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I'll work. <laughs> and like that's been the hallmark of my life ever since as a priest, you know, 24 years later. is like I'm just convinced the, the Eucharist is the wrecking ball. Like, give people access to him in this way. And because he wants this more than I do or you do, like, he will break into people's lives. It's what he did with you, I know. Mm -hmm. It's what he did with you. I mean, like, this is how it happens. So I, I guess long way of saying encouragement to our brothers, like, yeah. hey, just make time for people to adore the Blessed Sacrament right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, create opportunities for exposition. And for the lay faithful, like, make a beeline to a church with the Eucharist exposed, because that's where you meet him in the most extraordinary way, right? Yeah, yeah. So here we are. It's the uh, it's first week of October 2020. There's a few things going on in the country. Just a few. So, um, Father Ryan, you're, you're a brand new—they call it an administrator, huh? Yeah. Before yeah. you're a pastor, so it's kind of like a trial period. Very much so, yeah. yeah so, <laughs> like, so they can remove me at any time. Yeah, because once you're a pastor, they can't remove you, at least yeah. without cause. So, so what's the challenge is, like, give people a glimpse into what's the most— What's the most life-giving and the most difficult thing for you right now, given the fact that you can't gather with the people? Mm -hmm. you know, so we got all these people who we, we say often about, um, about you guys who are in parish ministry, like, you just can't win. Right, right. Mm. You know, either you're a bunch of cowards, you're not opening up the churches, or you're being reckless. Yeah, right. And so uh, give us a glimpse into, in, into your own issues right now, like, uh, what, what's the challenge for being a pastor or an administrator in a time like this? Yeah, um, the challenge, I would say, is on, on numerous facets or aspects of it. But because I'm so new, one of the hard things is, as I'm preaching, faces are covered with masks. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if anyone's smiling, if they're enjoying what I'm saying. I don't know if they're bored. I don't know if they're inspired. I mean, the, if the face is the way that we express our inner lives, because the face is like the person, right? I, I, I don't, I'm like just throwing tennis balls at, against walls and hoping they bounce back, you know, like, uh, so that's a real challenge is, uh, imagine like you're trying to slow dance with your bride right. and like, she, she, you don't even know who she is. Like if, does she like this song? Does she not? Is she, I mean, I have no idea hmm. how engaged now the blessing has been, I, I do get some emails and things like that afterwards. So I'm kind of able to take the pulse, but I, I mean, it's just, it's very awkward. Yeah. Um, hmm. it's not that um, dissimilar to when preaching during quarantine time to a just a camera, Ugh. right? Because that was even worse, but it's not that dissimilar because there's still hard to gauge where people are at. So I'd say that's tough, uh, a very tough thing is I'm trying to get to know people. Uh, the other thing is that, um, now this is just like my read on things, I guess I would say, is just that uh, this pandemic and COVID or whatever you want to call these things has a way of minimizing human experience. So people hmm. are obsessing over protocols, obsessing over stats, obsessing over which states are permitting what and how are you able to do it. And, and the problem with that is it's like a real narrowing of being human. And so like Jesus didn't come to be the answer to like, what am I supposed to do with COVID? He came to be the answer like, where do I find happiness? Where hmm. do I find meaning? Why am I so despairing? What does this suffering mean? What is the meaning of death and life and family and really, I mean, bigger questions, but as this presses in, we're not even ans asking big questions anymore. 
And so it's kind of hard to get people to animate or get in touch with those big questions because they're just bombarded, whether it be COVID, whether it be the election, whether it be job loss or fears or worries or not seeing loved ones in nursing homes and things like that. They're just, there's so much pain and mm-hmm. challenges and pressure that they're not even in touch with the part of their hearts that's asking the questions that really move them to God. And so trying to give them spaces and places and times to where they can be human again in the mm-hmm. midst of all this, it's a real challenge. Not to mention, I don't know people's names because <laughs> yeah. I'm brand new, right? So I don't know their names and they tell me their names, but I see eyebrows and colors of eyes. Right. And I've, I've asked... I've asked all the women in my parish, please don't change your hairstyle because that's how I'm getting to know you. That's like the most distinctive thing right now for me. So um, so it, it, it is a challenging time. Hmm. So, um. so how can, if people want to know how they can best support you in your role, like what would you say? Like, man, these would be a couple of things that would be really helpful, like really helpful feedback for me, Things, you, ways you can pray for me mm-hmm. uh, in, in my own role as a new administrator and whatnot. Like what, what comes to mind for you? Yeah, I think um, part of it is um, when you say you're grateful for something or something, I, if you say you really like the homily or something I'm doing, if it could be specific. That would be very helpful. So, oh, Father, I really liked your homily. That's nice to hear. It really is. And it, it makes me feel good. Okay, all my hard work and prayer was worth it. But say, Father, I really liked when you said Jesus is like this. Yeah. That really made a lot of sense to yeah. me. The specificity of the affirmation really helps me know where grace was operative. So specificity in the compliment. Second thing is many ways to remember that like I'm I'm a I'm 36 right so I'm, I'm a 36 year old guy all right who is also a priest so like 36 year old guy who just moved to a brand new place like my living room looks like I'm writing a Russian novel I have one chair <laughs> in the middle of an empty room all right like there's nothing else around it's very existential like uh, so I'm waiting for a couch to come in and so like it's like when I go back after a long day it's like not a great place so. You know, like some people have been saying, kind of, they've dropped off a meal or two. That's been amazing for me and the brother priest I live with is just in this time right now to be able to have a meal shared together mm-hmm. um, and things like that. So specificity and just like kind of remembering I'm human, just like any human, I would have those same kind of needs. Yeah. Uh, those would be amazing ways to kind of, if, as I think the phrase here is pouring into priests. Yeah. It'd be a great way to pour into my life. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks. I mean, we, we just made a podcast uh, a couple episodes ago, I think, where we were talking about useless feedback, you know, so... Um, hey, great homily is useless feedback. Like, mm-hmm. why was it great, you know, or terrible homily, you know, useless feedback. Tell me why it was terrible. No. So I appreciate that in a special way. How can people pray for you? I think that they could uh, just continue to ask the Lord for me to be enamored with him. Hmm. Uh, especially as a new administrator or pastor is, you know, parochial vicar, it's like either you can call it the honeymoon days or the childhood days of priesthood. When you transition to administrator or pastor, all of a sudden you got to pay bills. Hmm. And, you know, and everyone's like, I can't believe they don't teach you business class in the seminary. Well, they're not supposed to. We got to learn saints and mystics and theologians and councils and prayer. And there's a lot of things we got to learn. Uh, but a lot comes at you. And once again, it can crowd out your interiority. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite mm-hmm. theologians says the secularization of interiority, mm-hmm. which is that like a, it's no longer open to the infinite one to the beauty and majesty of God. Mm. So to pray that I keep staying enamored and in awe, mm. you know, it's much similar to like spouses, right? Like just pray that they stay in love with one another, that they right. are still like, man, my wife is still a wonderful woman. I still see that in her. Or that, man, I'm so proud to be married to him. Yeah. That that kind of grace would still be operative, that I'm still in love with the Lord. Like, yeah, all new things. I'm trying to learn a million things at once. I don't know which keys open which doors, 
But you know what? It's really, it really doesn't matter that much because like I'm in love with God and he's called me to this and it's going to yeah. be okay. Hmm. That's awesome. That's so Thanks good. for that. Yeah. I, I know, uh, uh, be curious to see what what happens in your life, Father Patrick, when uh, when the Lord calls you to serve as pastor and whatnot. I say to to young guys when they first become pastor, this, this is my own experience anyway. I'm, I'm not sure if this resonates with you, Father Ryan, but so like a guy gets uh, gets ordained, and the way I say to my my lay friends, it's a lot like marriage. Like hopefully it just fits. Like it just feels right. Like the moment I got ordained, you celebrate mass. It's like I. This is so natural. I mean, I was just born to do this. You know, I'm very comfortable. I love it. It fits. It's great. There's some adjustments, but it, it's it's very natural. And then I was made a pastor, and it was like a quantum leap. Yeah. And I equate it with, it must be like it was, uh, the analogy would be, you get married, and you're, you begin to live as a husband, and it, it feels right. There's a bunch of adjustments, but it feels right. And then you have a child. Mm. Or like triplets. Or triplets. Or 12,000 children at once, right? And everything changes. And I don't mean the administration and the weight of the responsibility in that regard as a pastor. Uh, The thing that's so hard to communicate to people is, you know, like, when, when I'm an associate or parochial vicar, it's kind of like being the uncle. Like, everybody yeah. loves your uncle, man. Like, Uncle Patrick's coming over, man. Sweet. You know, he's going to play, and then he's going to leave. And the father or the mother, right? Like I have this weight on me to care for you, to nurture you, to to facilitate an encounter with the Lord, to try to to give you whatever you need, right? And that's the weight that, I, I don't know about you, seminary just did not prepare me for. I felt like seminary prepared me for priesthood. It did not prepare me for spiritual fatherhood. Yeah, you know, here's a practical example is, with parochial vicar, I go out to dinner with uh, some men from the parish, and we're just talking about books or vacations or things where love going on at the parish. Last week, I go out with three guys from the parish. And I'm the administrator now, right? And they, they say, hey, Father, what do you want us to help? What do you want our help with? How can we help you do things? And you're like, hmm. ah, I'm still unpacking boxes. Uh, or they're like, hey, Father, we were talking. We have some ideas. It, it's a whole different, they're, they're, it's a whole different posture. Yeah, mm-hmm. it really and is. It's, and like, you know, as a dad, the dad shouldn't operate in the family saying, why aren't my kids loving me more? Like, right. that's a bad dad. Right. right. The dad should be like, I'm here for them to love on them. Right. But you need to find ways to still fill up because um, you're just not going to get it from the people the same way. There'll be moments, and there have been already, beautiful moments already. But it's just the conversations change, the expectations hmm. change, the way they relate to you changes. And I'll be honest, it, it, times can feel very lonely because, you know, there's a phrase, it's lonely at the top. Yeah. Well, it partially is because, like, I, I can't get you into my heart the same way because. I'm now the father here. I really am the leader here. I'm the pastor. I'm the good shepherd. And uh, it's a different tone. It's a different relationship. And just learning, asking the Lord, trying to figure out what does this mean? What is this thing in my heart now? It's a new place. Mm -hmm. And to realize it's both a sacrifice of what was, but like a Paschal mystery, like it's a dying to that. But there are glimpses of what like the resurrection is going to look like. Mm. Uh, and it's beautiful. But the, seg- the Holy Saturday is a really disorienting time. Mm. Yeah, and no kidding. so you have to stay there for a while. And it's kind of lonely in the tomb. Yeah, uh, no kidding. But there's hope. But it's still lonely in the tomb. Right. No, thanks for that, brother. I appreciate that. Father Patrick, what, what about you? What's, what's uh, pandemic, decision fatigue, craziness? And the, what, what are the biggest just, challenges for you? I'm just in parochial vicar Candyland. Uh, so... <laughs> Going out to eat every night. Yeah, Uncle Patrick's having a glorious, (laughs) glorious time over here. No, it's. uh, (laughs) I'm like, oh god, if Bishop Lessig's listening, don't ever make me a pastor. Um, (laughs) 
No, um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm brand new at my second assignment. I started. Right, you just moved in July, yeah, right? I, no, August fourth. August. That's right. You August moved in August. Yeah. Feast day of John Vianney. Yeah, feast day of John Vianney. Patron saint of uh, parish priest. Patron for those of you who don't know. Yeah. Um, similar struggles as as Father Ryan here. Just, I mean, in, in the, I mean, priesthood is is as we've been talking about. It's it's living the the spouse relationship of Christ to the bride. It's spiritual fatherhood and. Like the heart of that is is relationality, and um, when you can't see faces, it's very hard to be relational, right? Um, just the struggle to yeah, as he said, learning names, learning faces, trying to map out the family tree of this parish um, is really hard, and, you know. And and coming from my first assignment, we talk about our first assignments like it's our first love, and mm. and you, you invest your heart so deeply in a people and in a particular place, and then. Um, you know, th- there's just no correlate uh, in, th- you know, the, 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 the married vocation and, and celibacy, they mirror each other, but there's some, there's some breakdowns in the analogy that there's no, it's not as though I just got divorced and now I'm like onto my second wife. You mm-hmm. know, there's, there's no correlate with marriage that like I had to remove my heart here and now give my heart here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and unlike a pastor, there's no promise of some lasting stability here. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's trying to resist at the same time the temptation that the enemy whispers that says, remember how much that hurt uh, when you had to leave? And maybe you shouldn't give yourself so much. Maybe you shouldn't invest so deeply. Maybe because you're only going to be here a year, two years, you don't even know. Um, Maybe you should preserve yourself. Um, Trying to resist that temptation because, like... All I'm called to to all I'm called to do is is be faithful to the moment. You know, the Lord has put me there now, and He's not said give fifty percent. It's it's this is my body given for you, which is all of it. And mm-hmm. and so just navigating that in the heart as a parochial vicar, as you know, as a spiritual uncle, so to speak. Uh, but the yet fun uh, uncle. the the funkle, uh, <laughs> frunkle, <laughs> if you will. Um, is but people hard. would can I, can I interrupt real quick? So people would never know that, right? So so yeah. Joe Schmo in the parish, right? So all oh, I, I know Joe. is Joe, he's a great guy. Yeah. So I just lost, you know, the guy who left, the priest who left, who I was really close to. My heart's going through the adjustment of a new guy. And I'm sitting there going, like, and I got this new guy who just moved in, and I have no concept of the fact that he just moved out of a family. Yep. And he's, which is so unnatural, right? Like it's not natural for fathers to leave. Yeah, that's the that's the the part that nobody gets about priesthood, right? It's just not human for a father to leave a family, and that's what we do time after time after time. And so you leave a place, which, as you mentioned, is like my first love. I got all the heartache of having left great friendships. They're wanting me to stay very close with them. Yep, because. I got close with them, yeah. and yet I can't stay really close with all of you because I have a new family suddenly yeah. that I need to pour into, and they're still attached to another guy. Like these are the dynamics that people just don't know about priesthood, right? Yeah. And I think that, that, that those dynamics are important too because it, it does mean I don't love you right away, and it's not because yeah. I won't love you, and it's not because I don't want to, or you're it's not wonderful in the gift. It's because first off there has to be some level of knowledge. Like if I'm going to love you, I got to get to know you. Otherwise I'm just loving an idea and I'm just imposing it on you. It's impersonal. That's not love. But it also means that like my heart in order to be like ready to be present to you 
it needs to grieve. And Americans were bad at grieving, right? Oh, because yeah. it's the most unproductive and impractical thing to do. Oh, yeah. uh, it's just taking time to be sad. Um, but when you, when, you, when you grieve that transition, that's the only way you can be free to love. And vice versa, you might have loved your previous priest. Like, he was the one who brought you Christ in dynamic ways. He might have renewed your marriage and brought your family to the Lord. And, and this new guy, you're like, well, what is this guy all about? And, uh, and it's like, part of it is you got to grieve the loss to say, what is God doing now? Yeah. And that's why it's so important that our hearts stay enamored with God. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because God's always alive and he's always doing something in our lives. And so if he's transitioning one to another, he is doing something. He's not going to leave us as orphans. He's not going to leave us desolate. But the transition, there is a journey through the desert, there's a there's that Paschal mystery again, and that grieving is a is is the whole body of Christ needs to do it for numerous reasons right now. But uh, in that transition time, especially, it's like I will love you, I will absolutely be all in, I will pour my blood, sweat, and tears, but it might not happen for the first six months because yeah. I'm just not there yet. And so it's another thing to pray for each other, both the bride and the priest, that our hearts could grieve well, yep. so that we could welcome the new gift. Be patient yeah. with one another. I mean, this yeah. is such a huge. That's why I love this kind of conversation. Like, these are things nobody would know. We don't talk about this stuff, no. right, as priests, right? And so this is a great forum to do that. I'm thinking of a conversation um, when my dad died, uh, said a years ago now. I remember walking around the back of the church before Mass. I think he had died the week before, right? And so my dad was my hero. You know, he was everything to me and whatnot. And so uh, I'm walking around the church, and this guy comes up to me. He goes, are you Okay. <sighs> This guy, this guy went to daily mass. I'm like, uh, well, yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm just struggling right now. You know what? Like, well, you just look so down. Mm. I said, well, you know, my dad just died, right? He goes, yeah, but you just look so down. <laughs> I just patted him on the shoulder. I'm like, thanks. You know, I just, <laughs> it's almost like people don't, I mean, this yeah. sounds so stupid to say out loud, but people don't know that we're human. Yeah. Like I cry, I grieve, I hurt, I get angry. I, you know, <laughs> well, yeah, I did a priest friend visit me and he was like, he was visiting me and he kept saying like, he's like, I'm just sad. And like third day. I'm like, Hey, you keep saying this constantly. Like I'm thinking, am I a bad host or whatever? He's like, no, I'm just actually just for the first time in my life realizing it's okay to be sad. Yeah. So I'm just saying it more often just because I'm like, it's okay. I don't have to not be sad. I can just be sad. Right. And I was like, Oh, it's a beautiful like being at peace with your humanity is like, yeah, sometimes I'm sad. And how many things we do to try to not feel what we actually are feeling. Right. Uh, just a beautiful thing. Yeah. And not to give the other person permission to be there. Yeah. yeah. Right now. Like, yeah. I'm at, like I, I experienced this as a priest. Like, it was almost like people were like, yeah, you, you know, like, you're not allowed to do that because we need you. Yeah. We need you Amen. to be oh, whatever we need for us right now. And so you don't have permission to grieve the loss of whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, like, if we tried to do that with people, they'd be like, what do you mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> so we just, in these times, especially where there's like everybody's on edge, like there's such a need to just be charitable and to carry one another's burdens and to give like a, as a friend of ours would say, a huge latitude of grace, mm. you know, and permission to be one of, one of our core values here at Acts 29 is, uh, you know, permission to be real and it, it's okay to not be okay. Yeah. <laughs> We, we need that right now in, in this culture in which we're living. It's okay to not be okay right now. I think one of the things that, you know, I've been a priest since 2016. One of the things that you, just the amazing grace of hearing confessions, you just begin to realize the, just the average person, 
the trauma that they carry, the pain that they carry, what mm. the average person is going through. And, and we're so bad at typically relating to each other's responses instead of just, like you said, giving that wide latitude of grace. But um, if there's anything that, that, that priesthood has done for me in, in particular with that is just, just giving me pause to um, try and see the story that this person carries that, uh, hmm. that man, if I could really see it, it would, it would just break my heart. And that's every person. Every person's got a story that would break your heart. So, yeah, I'm thinking of uh, I had a guy who was uh, assigned newly ordained priest, and it was week one. It was Saturday night. Uh, got done with mass. He had confessions that day. It was the first time he'd ever heard confessions. Yeah. And uh, so at make dinner, we watched some football, and he looks at me, and he is just distraught, just distraught. And uh, I said, "You all right?" And he says, "I can't believe." what I just heard. You know, so we used to get a lot of confessions, so he was probably hearing confessions for two, three hours. And, you know, I, I don't know what people think about what it's like to hear confessions, but you, it was interesting as you were, Father Ryan, talking about uh, the youth retreat. You just went to take out the trash. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think that's priesthood, quite honestly. You know, now like, you go to retreats and you take out the trash. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what we do. We just pick up garbage, you know. That's, and to be clear, the people aren't garbage. Like, nope. But we just pick up people's pain, yeah. you know. And, and, you know, if you're a psychologist or a therapist or a physician, like, that's what you do, too. I mean, you're just absorbing pain, and you have to find something to do with the pain, you know. So my image of, uh, of a holy hour in uh, parish life is oftentimes I picture, like, the garbage truck that's just backing up. And oh. you hear the beep, beep, yeah. beep. And I just go in front of the Blessed Sacrament and I unload all the stuff that I've just picked up in the course of, you know, like the day before and go, Lord, I can't do anything about this. Mm-hmm. But you can. So I'm just going to dump it here. And I'm going to go get more. Yeah. I'm going to bring them back to That's you. That's such a great image. You know, and uh, it's, it is so painful. So doctors, nurses, therapists, priests were often told, like, don't get close to people. Mm-hmm. Like, you got to be kidding me. Like, well, do do that, you really think Jesus didn't get close to people? Well, I think that's a big difference between us and psychologists, right? Or us, because you mentioned all the other ones. They all hear these things, right? But the difference is, is we're not meant to take the medical neutral stance. Yeah. You know, we, we, we really, if we do, that's, that's a dangerous place. You're, the, you're clogging up some of the healing graces pouring through you. We really are meant to be affected. Yeah. And in some sense, we're meant to get mad on this person's behalf. Yeah. We're right. meant to cry because this person can't yet or they don't know how. We're meant to just give them a space where like, like I see the like uh, Gerard Manley Hopkins, like I see that immortal diamond in you, and I know mm. you don't. Mm. I know you don't, mm. but I see it, mm. and that's to me what keeps me from being overwhelmed in the confessional is like fighting for the immortal diamond in this mm. person. Like mm. you're that's telling awesome. me all the crap that's on it, but I know it's there, and I'm going to ask some questions until I find it, and then there it is. And maybe it's just a twinkle in your eye, yeah. and I say, I see you right now. I yep. see you, and like okay, now we're off to the races. Now we can see Christ at work, but. Yeah, we're not meant to have that neutral stance because when you go to your parents, when you're a little kid and you're crying, you don't want like dad to be cold and be like, why are you crying? Well, what did you do about it? Right. He wanted to pick you up and hold you. (laughs) Exactly. And be affected and kiss you and make you laugh again and then throw you back in the playpen. You know, so we're meant to be affected and moved. It says all throughout the scripture, right? And Jesus was moved with compassion for them, right? Right. Which is such a lame translation. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's like we're meant to have be affected and pierced and... It's hard to live that way. That's why you need that holy hour and good brother priests and things. But yeah, it's 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 the it is certainly is what the calling is. 
So Father Patrick and Father Ryan and I continued to go on for quite some time, so we're going to break it right there this time, and then we're going to resume part two of a conversation between three brothers on our next episode. In the meantime, don't be afraid. God is with you even as he's with them, and you were born for this.